three times. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Samuel Rutherford said that when he was cast into the cellars of affliction, he remembered that the great king always kept his wine there. At any moment or any point in our lives, we find ourselves in one of three stages. You see, we're either in something... We just got out of something, or we're about to go back into something. It's not a matter of if suffering is going to happen. It's a matter of when is suffering going to happen. One of three stages. At any point in our lives, we find ourselves at one of those three spots. That we're either in something, we just got out of something, or we're about to go back into something. And when I say that we're in something, I mean that we are hurting. We're sucking. We're, we're not doing very well. For whatever reason, our cage is being rattled. Our boat is being tossed in the middle of a, a vast ocean. And it feels like tomorrow may never come. We're either in it, we just got out of it, or we're about to go back into it. Or do you not realize, church, that through many tribulations, one must enter the kingdom of God. My final weeks teaching at LCA a few years ago, my final weeks there, my students were bringing their yearbooks to me. And one of the things I, I put in, I remember signing almost every student's yearbook, was Acts chapter 14, verse 22. Through many tribulations, one must enter the kingdom of God. You see, for many of us, we do not have a theology of suffering. The church has faltered in many ways. The American church has faltered in many ways. It seems that it would rather focus on entertaining its people than pre preparing them for moments of deepest and heaviest sorrow and suffering. And so when suffering happens, because it does happen, we don't know what to do with it. 
Oh man, all this bad stuff's happening. Okay, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what the pastor said when I became a Christian that this would happen. I, this, okay, something's not happening right here. Did I not do something right? What's going on? We don't have a theology of suffering. We don't have an understanding of God as we ought to. So that when pain happens, when hurt happens, when our little boat feels like it's about to be capsized in the middle of the ocean, well, we're just a wreck. I'll tell you what, like, knowing that Jesus is your friend, that's great. But if someone came into your house tonight and killed your entire family, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to need something more than just Jesus loves you and and he's your friend. You're going to need to know something more than that. You're going to need to know deep, weighty, big things about God, especially how it pertains and relates to suffering. Because otherwise, you're probably not going to make it. And sometimes, gosh, sometimes I hear the dumbest things on the radio. I've used this illustration before. Some of you guys have heard it. Hear the dumbest. You turn the radio on. Some guy's telling you about his testimony. And he's like, yeah, my life was pretty hard. And then I met Jesus. And since then, I got the new car I wanted, and I got the girlfriend, and now I got the job, and man, everything's just going awesome since I became a Christian, since Jesus saved me. Everything's just full of butterflies and lollipops, and it's just awesome after I met Jesus. And I'm sitting back thinking, dude, you didn't meet Jesus, you met Jack Daniels. (laughs) You want to hear a testimony? It's like this. Before Jesus saved me, before I met Jesus, life was pretty hard. And then Jesus saved me, I became a Christian. And since then, life's actually gotten harder. But that's okay, because he's worth it. Because he's more beautiful, and he's more satisfying than anything else. He is the greatest treasure. In a very Matthew 13, 44 way. This passage tonight, this passage is for broken people tonight. This is one of those iconic stories in the Bible, Paul's thorn in his flesh. It's debated among Scholars, exactly of the nature of Paul's thorn in his flesh. Some argue that it was a physical ailment. I've heard some people say that they think he, he got terrible, suffered from terrible migraines. Others say it was spiritual. Others say it was a, a, an emotional affliction. Some argue that it was a, a combination of all three. I'm not going to debate which one it may or may not have been tonight. But what is clear is that this caused him a lot of suffering. And sometimes, 
Sometimes when we're going through suffering ourselves, and we hear a story about suffering, it really impacts us. And I hope it it does that for some of you tonight. And the other thing that I'd like to just point out is for those who are Christians, your suffering has a purpose. It's not being wasted. But more about that in in a little bit. So, the text, 2 Corinthians 12, 8-10, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So what does Paul do? Well, he does what most of us do. When we're going through something really hard, we're just like, Jesus, just, just fix it, just take it away, just, just make this better, because we do anything to alleviate suffering. I mean, even as small as like a mosquito bite or something. We don't, we don't like to, to feel suffering. We don't like to feel uncomfortable. And so we want to fix for it. We want to just go away. We want to be better. And that's it. And so Paul comes here. A man who, I'll just say right now, was very accustomed with suffering. Here's a man that you're going to get to know tonight who knew probably more about suffering than any of us will in an entire lifetime. It wasn't as if Paul suffered for like six months or a year and then, okay, spends the next 20 years living down in South Florida at his retirement home. Here's a man tonight that experienced suffering until... His head was severed off his shoulders by a piece of Roman steel. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And he comes to God persistently, praying, praying, asking, asking. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. And God comes... And he answers Paul's prayer. And yet he does not answer Paul's prayer in the way that Paul had asked for it to be answered. He answers his prayer, but not in the way that he has asked for it. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So God responds... In such a way of giving him more sustaining and enabling grace. As the text says, the Lord's response in verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The Lord's response to Paul's prayer, his agonizing prayer, you know, the kind that you fall asleep and you litter your pillow with tears because you're in just so much pain and so much hurt. His answer to Paul's prayer was not to just take it away. His answer to his prayer was to give him sustaining and enabling grace to Pull him through this. That was his answer. 
So Paul prays. God answers, not how Paul wants him to answer, but he does answer, and his answer is not, I'm going to take it away, his answer is, I'm going to pull you through this, I'm going to give you so much grace to sustain you, oh, I'm sure it's still going to hurt, but I'm going to give you sustaining grace and get you through this. And in doing that, certain things happen. And God gives, in those moments, in those moments of suffering, suffering has a way of, and by the way, I'll just say this, suffering has a way of making us completely dependent upon divine power, not on our own. Suffering has a way of, of just completely making us dependent upon divine power, not our own power. As Bruce puts it, his prayer was indeed answered, not by his deliverance from the affliction, but by his receiving the necessary grace to bear it. But he received more than grace to bear this vexing affliction. He received the power of Christ. We live in America. And as Americans, we just have this spirit of Americanness about us. That when you fall down, you get back up. And you wipe the dirt off, and you keep going. And you have a backup plan. Should this happen, you've got this set up. You can do it. You can soar as high as your dreams or whatever other little cliche you may have heard. You can just insert it right now. See, suffering has a way of stripping us down to the point where we can't fix it. Because if we could, we would. Suffering has a way of purging us from self, from pride, from idolatry. God takes something away from us, perhaps, that we love and it's causing us so much pain and affliction and I just want it back. If it just comes back, I'll be complete and whole. I'll be complete and whole if it just comes back. No, you're complete and whole because God sent his son on a rescue mission for you, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, three days later conquered sin, death, and Satan. That's why you're complete and whole. He fixed you. He gave you a new nature. Suffering has a way of doing that, of purging us from the this American can-do spirit, which isn't entirely bad. And Paul comes and he says that in verse 9, <coughs> he says, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He closes this by saying, For when I am weak, then I am strong. See, suffering has a, a way of just stripping us down To where we can't do anything. We can't fix it. 
We would have if we could. We can't make the hurt go away. We can't make the pain go away. And all we have left to try to do is just cry out to God because we've exhausted all other options sometimes. So Paul comes, a man who, as I said, has experienced a lot of suffering. And he says, and teaches us, that we are most powerful and we are strongest, and here's the crazy thing, when we're actually least reliant upon ourselves and our own resources. And that is very humbling it's a vulnerable thing. Suffering makes us vulnerable. Strips us down to nothing. Paul says, I'm at my strongest, I'm at my best, <clears throat> when I'm least relying upon myself to solve this, to fix this, or my own resources to bring them in. Money can't fix everything. And this is a very humbling thought. We are at God's mercy in those moments of deepest, darkest pain in our lives. And so he says this, I'm going to go back to 9. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. That statement there is just strange. Think about that. I'm going to boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. I don't know about you, but I see a lot of Facebook statuses. I usually don't see people making Facebook statuses like, just had our championship intramural football game. My team lost 100 to 0. I threw six pick sixes, fumbled the ball three times. Uh, like, no one does that, right? No one makes and broadcast to the world how much we don't have it together. Because we want everybody to think we have it together. Don't say, oh, my, I had my, our championship hockey game and we lost 12 to 0. And I gave up 12 goals. And one was from the other side of the ice. Uh, you know, that's, that's embarrassing. We don't, we, don't, we don't brag about things like that. We don't brag about our, our mess-ups. Think about what Paul is saying here. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. And I'm thinking, did he step out between verses 8 to 9 to like, like smoke something? Or what is happening here? Because people don't talk this way. They don't. Paul gets something. He gets something that we would be well to learn. And if you if you don't have this this text memorized, church, this is a great text to memorize. I memorized it about two years ago. Knowing those moments of hurt and pain. And hearing God's response, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. I almost insert my own name in there. My grace is sufficient for you, Joe. My grace is sufficient for you, Jordan. Oh, my grace is sufficient for you, John Powers. My grace is sufficient for you, Connor. 
My grace is sufficient for you. I'm still here. I haven't left. And yet, there's a disconnect. You're sitting here thinking, yep, that's true because you're reading it literally out of the Bible. So I know it's true because Paul said it. I believe it. But, but Joe, I, I don't feel it. There is a disconnect like between what's here and what's here. And I, I, I don't know what to do. I've heard John Piper say before, one of the, the longest 12 inches is the distance between my head and my heart. And you might be sitting here totally affirming everything that I'm saying right now and still saying, yeah, but I don't feel it. I still feel crushed. I still feel perplexed. I still feel terrible and miserable. And I got it. Like, His grace is sufficient for you. But I don't feel it. What do I do in those moments? Well, I prayed. And one spring day, two years ago, I'm standing out in front of my house. And I'm saying, God, I, I like this story because Paul's going through a hard time. I'm going through a hard time. It, it helps, like I said, when you hear something, you hear a story about something that you're going through. That just helps. I said, but there's this disconnect, God. I, I know it's true, but I'm still just all torn up inside. And then came this thought. 1 Timothy 1.14, Paul says it like this, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Some of you don't remember when we did our 45-week series through 1 Timothy in the early days of Lynchburg City Church, but he's kind of sharing his testimony there about God's saving grace. And I started thinking, standing outside my house, <clears throat> trying to process this. And I'm thinking, if God's grace was able to save Paul, then surely his grace, like he says, is able to sustain him. If God's grace is able to save me from sin, Satan, death, and hell, it's a pretty big feat then surely His grace would be able to sustain me like Paul's. Like, if this is true, like if it takes this much grace, like saving grace, well then surely, it would probably take a lot less grace to just get me through this, this momentary, this light momentary affliction to pull me through this next month, this next week, whatever it is. Like, if this is true... And then this is true. I mean, we're staking everything on this. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, like, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, this is all for nothing. It's all a big waste. So if this is true, that he saved me from sin, death, Satan, hell, then surely this much smaller amount of sustaining, enabling grace can get me through this moment. And, and for me... That is exactly what I needed to, to realize. This, to just kind of, to kind of fix the, the wires between my head and my heart. If, if this is true, then this has got to be true. It doesn't necessarily make the pain go away. But it's a reminder that God can and will 
bring me through this. He's already demonstrated his faithfulness in saving me. I mean, the fact that I love Jesus is a miracle. I say this a lot. Why do I love Jesus and my dad not love Jesus? Why does my dad hate Jesus? He's, he's way smarter than me. I have, I have no explanation for you for why I love Jesus and why my dad doesn't. I have zero explanation other than his grace. That's it. Him doing a miracle in my life. That's it. Nothing else. If he did that, then I know that he can bring me through this. Oh, and I know sometimes the problems and the hurts and the pains that we deal with, they seem insurmountable. They seem daunting. I just remind you, they're not daunting for the king of the universe. He spoke the world into existence. This is no problem for him to help you. Get through that hurt, that pain, that season of suffering. You see, it is when believers are out of answers, when we are out of confidence, out of our own strength, and we've got nowhere else to turn, except to God. That we are in a position to be most effective. But sometimes, sometimes this eternal perspective that Paul so just gives to us is lost in the midst of our hurt and our pain and our suffering. It's obscured. God's glory is obscured. Eternity with Jesus obscured because that pain comes in and just rips us all sorts of ways from here to yesterday. And we often lose that perspective. I remember when I was coming in my second year in seminary. It's coming in my second year in seminary. It's... uh I think it's the fall, fall of 2011, I believe. And there I am living on the dorms again, seven years without a car. That's a, a strain on any man. My buddy Chris calls me up. Chris lives on the dorm with me. I say, hey, Chris, what's going on? He said, hey, I'm, I'm in the emergency room right now. I'm like, dude, what is up? You're in the ER? He's like, yeah, I'm here with Lauren. Lauren's, Lauren's our mutual friend. And I said, okay, is everything okay? He's like, yeah, yeah, everything's fine. He, um, Lauren has a concussion. She rolled out of her bed. She's living up on East Campus. Rolled out of her bed, hit her head on, on the desk, and you know was cut up and bleeding, whatnot. I said, oh, okay, so everything's okay. He's like, everything's fine. I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. I said, okay, just, just pray. I was like, okay, I got you. Uh, talked to Chris the next day, gave me an update, said Lauren was doing much better. And uh, she, her parents live like 90 minutes away, and so she went home just to kind of get some R&R there. And I thanked him for the update. And then later that night, he called me, and he said, hey, Joe, do you have a second? I said, hey, what's up? I could hear something was wrong in his voice. He said, um, I need to talk to you about Lauren. I said, what's going on? He said, uh, she laid down to take a nap today, and then...
and she didn't wake up again. He explained how she had, I guess, internal bleeding in her brain, and they didn't know. And three days later, I'm standing at her funeral. And there's this little girl, this 20-year-old little girl, and this box. And I'm looking down at her. And I don't have an answer for that. I've got nothing. Why this 20-year-old little girl is here in this box right now and I'm standing there looking down at her and I just talked to her the week before. I got nothing for that. There's a verse that I love very much. It's on the wall in my living room. Some of you have seen it. It's Romans 8.18. Once again, the Apostle Paul, a man who knew more suffering in this life than we probably ever will. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Think of it like suffering is less than glory or glory is greater than suffering. Paul has this eternal perspective that he's constantly injecting into these stories. John Piper says it like this. One way of rejoicing in suffering comes from fixing our minds firmly on the greatness of the reward that will come to us in the resurrection. The effect of this kind of focus is to make our present pain seem small by comparison to what is coming. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He's got this eternal perspective and he just focuses on this. That one day I'll be with Jesus and it will be wonderful and there will be no more tears and there will be no more pain and there will be no more sin. And he's just focusing on this. You read his story so focused on this. And in doing that, in focusing on the glory that is to come and being one day with Jesus, it, 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 it just makes the pain seem smaller. Oh, it still hurts. It does. I'll be the first to tell you that. At Lynchburg City Church, we're, we're all about making God look great, as the ancient Bible teachers would say. 
for the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So we want to glorify him. And in those moments of pain and suffering, we don't want to waste it. You want to know what makes Jesus look really great in the middle of our deepest possible pain and hurt and suffering is when in the deepest possible pain, when that relationship, that person that we love, comes, calls us up and says, I don't want to do this anymore. And it feels like a freight train just came through our living room and we don't even live by the railroad tracks. And it's out of nowhere. And when you're driving down the road with your buddy and it's a rainy day and a car can't stop, it's going too fast, hits you and your friend flies through the window and is lying just dead, just there on the ground. Or when you're standing like I was looking down at my friend Lauren in that deepest, most possible pain and you say, God is enough. He is good. He will take care of us. He will get us through this. As John Piper would say, God is most glorified in you when you're most satisfied in Him, even in the midst of loss and hurt and pain and suffering. And I could say, the end. But honestly... And this could be a two-part sermon. There's something else I need to say. For those of you who are Christians, I don't mean that you know Sunday school answers. I mean, you love Jesus. He's your greatest treasure. That's what I mean. Your pain and your suffering has a purpose. It's not being wasted. Sometimes it feels that way, right? Why is this happening What purpose, what good could come from this? From standing there at Lauren's funeral, like, what what is that about? And I want to tell you this, your pain is doing something. If you don't know 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, get to know 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart, Paul says. We don't lose heart. Man, I was, two years ago, I was preaching that to myself every day I was waking up. So we do, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen. But to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. It means they're temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul says, we, we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart. That this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. Your pain, your suffering, your hurt, doesn't matter what it is. It's doing something. It, there is a purpose to it. Oh, you might not know what the purpose is. But there is a purpose. It is doing something for you. And so Paul says, don't look to what is seen. Why? Because what is seen is constantly shifting. It's 
constantly moving. He says, he says it's transient. That, that means it's temporary. He says, don't look to what is seen. Look to what is unseen. Okay, Paul, there you go again. How am I supposed to, to look at what's unseen? I can't see it because it's unseen. John Piper was very helpful for me unpacking this passage. The unseen that you're supposed to look at in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18, the unseen that you're supposed to look at is the promise of God in verse 17. That's what you're supposed to look at. That's the unseen. The unseen, just don't look at the seen, look at the unseen. The unseen is the promise of God in verse 17 that says your pain is doing something for you. It's not being wasted for this light momentary Affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Or as Paul says in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Glory with Jesus one day is greater than suffering. Suffering is less than the glory. Sometimes you have to preach those, those things to yourself every day to maintain your sanity when the hurt seems just so unbearable. Your pain, your suffering, it's doing something for you if you are a Christian. And if His grace was big enough to do something like salvation for you, then it stands to reason that His grace is able to sustain you through your darkest days. And sometimes you just have to say that to yourself every day and preach those truths to yourself every day. My grace is is sufficient for you, Joe. Oh, my grace is sufficient for you, Abby. My grace is sufficient for you, Dwayne. My grace is sufficient for you, Jamie. So the band is going to come and we are going to sing and I am going to pray. We love you, Lord. And I don't know how many heavy hearts are in this place tonight or how many heavy hearts there will be a week from now or a month from now or six months from now or a year from now but God we know that you are sovereign over all things you are in control of all things including suffering you spoke the world into existence our problems really aren't that big of a deal for you. I'm so thankful that we have a big God. That we serve a king who is powerful and can get things done. Who answers prayers. Not sometimes as we always want them to be answered. But that you do answer prayers. That you do hear the cries of your broken people. And that you give grace sustaining to those who belong to you. Oh God, help us tonight 
Help us to have a better theology of our suffering as we heard from your servant Paul. God, encourage those who right now just need to feel you like giving them a hug and holding them. Amen.